Welcome to Voice Hugs, a podcast on becoming your best self and embracing all seasons of life with open arms. This is your host, Vivian Andro. Yeah, did you see good? Did you guys see that heart? <laughs> that was pretty cute. If you don't have video on, turn video on because yeah. we're in a new setting. Yeah, so we knew this day would come. We didn't know when, but we knew that this day would come. And we are finally recording together in person. This is actually our third episode in Voice Hugs history, recording in person, which is really crazy because we're on episode 53. So trying something new. I think even having the camera in front of us feels very different than recording via webcam. Yeah, because we can look at each other's faces now. We're like, do we look at, do we touch (laughs) each other's faces in person? Do we look at this giant camera or do we look at ourselves on the screen below (laughs) like I have to make eye contact with another human now (laughs) yes Uh, but yeah speaking of something new we also wanted to try something different for the next two episodes this episode I will actually be interviewing Ro and in the next episode she will be interviewing me we had this idea a long time ago actually towards the beginning of when we first started voice hugs a get to know us type of episode but at the time to be frank I wasn't ready (laughs) and I didn't want to talk about it again because I just (laughs) talked about it on my channel yeah you had just been talking about yourself for quite some time (laughs) yes not that not in a bad way (laughs) no offense taken you are right and I didn't want to talk about myself at all. So um, I think timing of everything actually worked out very well because now that we're wrapping up season one and preparing for season two, I think having an episode dedicated to getting to know you, one for myself, it will help our listeners understand us as people, as friends, as co-hosts. Yeah, and to also just add more color to our overall experience as we speak to other guests on voice hug so that you know where we're coming from as well yes yeah so today i have the honor and privilege of interviewing (laughs) miss rowena sai thank you so much for having (laughs) me on the podcast it's an honor (laughs) how does it feel to be interviewed by me and to have a whole voice hugs podcast episode dedicated to you honestly i'm very excited i think As you said, this is a long time coming. I feel like it is time for us to reintroduce ourselves to our listeners. And I think we need a name for you all. You're so much more than just listeners. Voice Huggies. I know originally we were like, oh, our community could be called Huggies. But wait, that's the diaper brand. Yeah. (laughs) If you have any ideas, please let let us us know. know. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, it really is an honor. I feel very <laughs> special. This takes me back to our uh, 17th episode. We're going to talk more about it in a future episode, but um, the one where you interviewed James. Oh, Murray. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. even more, even more, um, what is the word? What am I trying to say? <laughs> but even more together. <laughs> 
I don't know what you're trying to say. Because that time, we're just winging it. This um, time, we're very intentional. It's not to say that we weren't intentional, but I think now it's even more intentional. So I'm very excited. Yeah. It's always fun getting to know someone. And I think also, like, even though I have gotten to know you over the years, hearing your perspective now, looking back at your life, is it's going to be different than, you know, when I got to know you when you were 19, when you're 25, now you're in your early 30s. And so I'm excited to kind of get to know you all over again, but also find out maybe some new things about you that we've never heard of before. Likewise. (laughs) All right. So something that I love doing when I first get to know someone is I like hearing about what your childhood was like. I think at a young age, all of these things really play into who you become and it shapes you, your parents, where you grew up. So take us back to young Rose life. What was your childhood like? Where were you? You know, what was your relationship with your parents like? And what are some unique things about your childhood that stands out to you? Well, I was born here in the States. I moved back to Taiwan when I was about two or three years old. And I stayed there until fourth grade. But while I was in Taiwan, every summer, because it's so humid and I'd get crazy rashes or my eczema would flare out, Mm. we come back to the States. Mm -hmm. Just to like spend time with my cousins here and my mom's side of the family, they're all in the States. I just remember every summer coming back. It's just like, it's the highlight of my life, my brother's life, my whole cousin's lives. I mean, all my cousins. And I remember one of my cousins saying, summer doesn't officially start until Ro and Clement comes back. So it's very sweet. Um, Very, very lucky, I would say to have had the childhood that I had, very lucky to have such a multicultural experience, being able to really understand my roots and where I came from, from my parents and Taiwan, and also to be able to, I guess also assimilate at an early enough age in the state so that I wasn't fully like a fob. I don't know if that's like PC to say now, but like (laughs) I really was, you know? I for sure know my brother had a slightly harder time because I think he came back for sixth grade, Mm, which is middle school and it's a little different. Um, But yeah, that was childhood. It's a relationship with parents. I'll just share a little story. So my dad, he's very like traditionally Chinese, Taiwanese, however you want to call it. And filial piety is this huge thing. So he has like an ancestral... I don't know what it's called, like nameplate in a temple in the States. So I would take him every once in a while. And the last time I went with him, you're supposed to, you know, like there's like the incense, you like bye bye or like you pray with it. You say whatever you say and then you put it in the, there's like a. Like Mulan. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a like scene a. In Mulan yeah, like there's that, like yeah. a pot where you like put the incense in there. And whenever I go, I just talk to my grandparents. And this time. I went, I was like, Agong Ama, which is like grandpa, grandma, like, thank you so much for raising such an amazing son who became my dad. I don't know why I'm getting emotional Aww. saying this, but um, yeah, I just think my parents are like so sweet, so lovely. And like, I really would not be the person I am today if it weren't for them and their love and the way that they taught both my brother and I to just be good people. And that that was their gauge of what it meant to be a successful person Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, grades and the more traditional Asian family 
trappings. Yeah. <laughs> I actually got to meet your parents, both of them. I spent quite a lot of time with, I have spent quite a lot of time with Rowena's mom in the last six years. Like yeah. literally just one-on-one with her. And You're I got to meet- the only friend who I think spent <laughs> so much time. No, I love it. I yeah. Love it. yeah. Yeah. And then I also got to meet your dad. We went on a little trip together. And I think being around your parents, it was so different for me to I think it's always really cool to to like get to know people's parents because you start to see how you know where your friend gets certain traits from and your parents were always the type to I feel like they have a lot of wisdom and they're just always sharing that they're very like guiding people and very good like I feel like their hearts are like very good and so I can see how that comes out in you and who you've become as a person Yeah. Yeah. Um, Something that is unique about your experience, too, is that, you know, you said you were exposed to the two different cultures so early on. I think that a lot of people can relate to this where at such a young age, you want to feel like you belong somewhere. And I think because you were exposed to both like Taiwanese culture and also like Southern California being exposed to your cousins who grew up in the States, Did you ever struggle with fitting in or were you, you know, like how did that experience impact who you've become today? I don't know if this is ironic, but I think it made me cooler when I was young (laughs) because in Taiwan, my classmates are like, "Ooh, she's like American and she spends summers in America and like she can speak English well, which I don't maybe now it's more common, but back then it wasn't as common. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when I came back to the States, because I spent enough time in Taiwan and I was fully assimilated into Taiwanese culture, Chinese culture, because I didn't go to like an American school. I went to very local schools. That gave me perspective and context as to, okay, someone may make fun of my lunch or someone may say that I speak funny or someone may make fun of any part of me because I just came from Asia, but because I knew that in Oceans Away, a whole country of people live the way that I am living now or may, you know, speak the way that I speak, that it didn't bother me as much if anything were to happen. So I think it definitely helped me more than anything. But I think now that I'm thinking more about it, and we can talk about this more later, the back and forth probably contributed to some um, escaping (laughs) from Uh an earlier age. Yeah, because I wonder, did you ever have that sense of stability and consistency then, you know, or because you were going back and forth, that was just the norm and that's kind of just all you knew? I feel like my parents did a good job being the stability, Mm. which I think is probably the only reason why I'm fine and it didn't (laughs) not crazy yeah yeah or like it or like it didn't like I wasn't too insecure about it or I I like turned it into a a a positive thing rather than allowing it to be more of like a I don't know where I belong I don't know where I fit in so I think because my parents did a good job parenting me and because I felt like I belonged within my family and with my cousins there's like 10 of us so there's like so many of us and because I knew I had places where I belonged in my family, in my immediate family, in my extended family, then like if someone liked me or not, 
like, yeah, it still hurts. And like, we can talk about it later. I mean, you just want to be loved and liked, right? Yeah. But I think I still had that safety net. Yeah. Where, yeah, I think I'm very lucky because not many people have that. I think like just you saying that that experience made you feel special instead of like an outcast. I think that shows a lot about the type of environment that you were in and the kind of support that your parents were able to create for you, even though you were moving across oceans. oceans. Yeah, very cool. That's why I just cried because <laughs> so much I love. love my parents. <laughs> Aww. Okay, so fourth grade, you come officially here, States, and you go to middle school and high school here. What were you like at this time of your life? I'm curious that at this age, did you know what you wanted to become? And I, I ask this because you obviously have a very unique career, which we will go into later. But I'm just curious, like as a kid, did you know what you wanted to do? As a kid, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh -huh. <laughs> I just remember in elementary school and maybe even middle school really enjoying making little tickets to like like of imaginary theme park, an imaginary hotel, an imaginary classroom. And I remember really wanting to be a third grade teacher. Mm. It was very specific. So specific. Very, very specific. <laughs> yeah. I was like, third grade teacher, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. But as you get older, you realize the job is hard. The money's not good. So I'm like, hmm, maybe like there's other things to explore. But even as I got older, when I was in high school, I never really knew what I wanted to do and I feel like even though I didn't know what I wanted to do I've always wanted to help people I think because of how my parents raised me because of how much love they gave me and how generous they were with not just me but with the people around them too and like growing up seeing them helping other people like at the drop of a you know anyone calls them and needs help they're there I wanted to do that for other people. And I don't know. I just remember being in high school. I was like, mom, kids are dying in Africa. They're starving. They don't have food to eat. Why am I sitting in class learning about things I don't even care about and learning about things that I'm probably never going to apply? In my, like, what? when do we use algebra? When are we going to use calculus in daily life? Right? <laughs> yeah. Like biochem. Like, sure, if you go into that as a, like a career but I just somehow knew at that time I was like why am I here like I don't even want to be here and I remember my mom telling me darling Rowena she never calls me darling she just goes Xiaojun <laughs> what does that mean it's just it's like my Chinese like Xiao oh, oh. in front of like any yeah anyway it's just uh -huh. what she calls me in Chinese she goes darling she doesn't she never says that <laughs> In, my in your head, you it's hear more dramatic. Darling, before you help other people, you have to help yourself. You have to learn how to help yourself. And I remember that just not landing the way that it lands now that I'm older and more understanding of what she meant. But I was like, okay, you know, like, sure, she has a point. I don't really understand what you're talking about, but okay. So that just, that was it. Like, I, that was to the extent of I knew I wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. I didn't know to what extent. I wanted to drop everything and move to Africa and like build missionaries and go help people in that way. And my mom's like, eh, maybe, you know, you should finish your, maybe you should get an education first before you do that. Yeah, that's 
interesting because even at that age, you're already asking yourself like, okay, like you're in school, right? It's a very, it's like part of the system, right? This is the the step-by-step you go through that society has shaped for you. And I think you as a friend, to me, something that's so unique about you is that you've never really let that define you. And I think part of that is also that in your childhood, you got to go to different places and see other things, you know? So even at this age, like recognizing, you know, the stuff I'm studying, I don't really care about, like, what do I actually care about? It's really cool because this is around, you know, your teenage years and you're starting to ask yourself these questions. Yes, and I'm realizing I sound very privileged, and I know I was, I definitely was, which would lead me to do everything that I do. That was like a driving force behind why I started everything I started. Even though you're privileged, it doesn't mean that you don't go through hard times, right? Mm, I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't mean that you don't have hard feelings, right? Yes, maybe your environment has allowed for your life to pan out a certain way, but it it doesn't mean that you don't go through hardships. And so segueing into, (laughs) I'm going to give some context to our friendship. Okay. So we kind of talked about childhood, a little bit of middle school, high school. I met Rowena in college 2011. We were. We just aged ourselves. (laughs) We were. I was going to say 17. We were 19 years old when we met. You were just about to turn 20. Mm -hmm. And this was sophomore year in college. I remember my first impression of you was, wow, this girl is really cool. She's really confident, very strong. I remember thinking like, wow, she can insert herself into any circle and like talk to anyone. It's funny because now I know you and you're actually very introverted. But like at the time, I thought you were a total extrovert. In reality now, I actually think I'm more extroverted than you are. I think you are. Yeah. (laughs) Even though it doesn't seem like it, I, I think I am. Yeah. Yeah. So at this time, this is kind of the start of our friendship. You had actually gone through something like really incredibly hard two years prior in 2009 you had lost your brother suddenly and unexpectedly and I think now in hindsight looking back you know also hearing your stories and your reflections we know that that time after experiencing your loss and the five six years of that pretty much the start of our friendship was actually one of the darkest and hardest times that you've ever gone through to date and the crazy thing to me is that I knew you at this time and I had no idea you know I really didn't I mean you had an idea of what I went through but not the feelings not to the extent yeah. of like how much it was actually affecting you inside oh yeah I didn't know either <laughs> so we're we're on the we're on the same page oh here. that makes sense yeah. <laughs> that's why I don't know yeah. well I want to talk a little bit more about this period because I think it's interesting that someone can be going through such a hard time yet on the outside portray you know a part of it is that you weren't aware but another part of it was that you were very much functioning I thought you were totally okay like okay this happened two years ago but you know she's doing fine yeah so let's talk a bit more about that what were you actually going through at the time and how were you processing it I feel like a part of me was fine or maybe I convinced myself that I was fine so that I could keep living because now with the context of how close I am with my parents like I I haven't always been close with my parents 
ever since we lost my brother, I think that's when everything changed. When I was like, okay, while growing up, I was always the second born, right? Second born syndrome, you know, like just la 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 la, whatever happens, like it's going to go to my brother first. And then, you know, my parents always joke around and say, if the sky were to fall, it's like a Chinese saying, if the sky were to fall, my parents will hold it up first. And if they don't, my brother will hold it up. So I'm just like, "Mm," it's like the protected. (laughs) Yes. Always protected, always sheltered um, and babied. And so I think because I was very aware of that, I was like, oh shoot, now that I'm their only kid, like I need to step up because it was always like, my brother like did it all and he was textbook shining star of a firstborn so I think in that moment when it happened I made a very conscious decision to be like okay I need to do well not because I need to prove myself to anyone but because I know how like to lose a sibling is very different from losing a child that you watch grow up to 19 you know that's like 19 years of love and nurturing and caring for this baby who grew up to be like their own independent human being I promised myself that I would do my best to be the best that I can be so that I can be a better daughter a daughter who didn't lie and yell at my mom you know and just like an overall better human and also a part of it I don't know if it was to try to prove or to whatever but like I also wanted to show people around me that bad things can happen to you but it's up to you how you kind of deal and cope with it but being 17 those are those are some bold intentions I feel like if something similar happened to me now I may have been able to handle it a little better in terms of actually balancing of like I will let myself feel I would grieve I would talk to people I would go to therapy I would talk to coaches I would lean on my care team I would talk to my partner I would open up to people but Back then, at 17, I just like shut off that sadness, grief, all of that. Just don't think about it. Just move forward. How can you move forward? Because this thing that just happened, you can't change anything. So what can you change? You can change your future and you can be in control of how you decide to move forward. So that was that was kind of how I dealt with it. Just didn't really think about it. I will let myself think about it maybe once or twice a year on his birthday or on his anniversary. And that was that was like pretty much it. The two years out of every 365 days. I think because a part of me, because I did shut off that side on the outside, it did look like I was okay. And it did look like I was fine. And it did look like I was very functioning. I was going out. I was partying. I was enjoying myself. But I think when you kind of really look inside of like my core at that time, like I wasn't okay. And I was just running away and I was just numbing myself. I think it's interesting to hear you talk about it now in the way that you just did too, about how like if this was to happen to you now, you would have approached it so differently. And it kind of just goes to show that at different points in your life, you have different tools in your toolkit of how do you cope with these hard feelings mm-hmm. and I think like you said at the age of 17 you didn't and I don't think anyone at 17 yeah. would have had the tools yeah and I think that was your way of knowing how to move forward knowing how to survive that time and that came in the form of like this 
supercharged energy that you had to be the best daughter that you can be. And I think as we saw and as we know, I don't know if you guys actually know because you released this a long time ago, <laughs> but um, Ro, one of her first series that she released on her YouTube videos is a five-part life story series. And she talks a lot about this in detail. I would skip that series and just watch the 10 lessons I learned in my 20s. That's the updated, <laughs> the updated version, life the more story. relevant version. Yeah. Going back to that time, to anyone who may be going through something that hard right now, I think there's like a lot of kindness that we can give to ourselves. Like there's a lot of compassion that I feel for your younger self too of that is just how you knew how to cope with it. And she did a really good job of, you know, helping you get through that to the point where I think knowing you now and knowing that that was when our friendship started, it took about five or six years for you to finally let yourself start to feel the loss. So six years passed your brother passed away 2009. When was the first video you posted? 2016, officially, mm -hmm. right? So seven years mm -hmm. had actually passed. Now, something that really stands out to you, about you, to me, is that you create YouTube videos for a living and you chose to create YouTube videos for a living. I want to know, leading up until this point, there are so many ways that you can help people. Why did you decide on hey, I'm going to make YouTube videos, upload it onto the internet, and this is my form of helping people. How did your experience lead you to that moment in 2016? The long version is on YouTube. I will watch part five of my story or the 10 lessons I learned in my 20s. We'll link everything in the yes. description box. To make it condensed but detailed enough for the podcast, I would say... Like I went through a really, really, really dark time when we first met. Like when we met, actually, it wasn't that bad yet. So 2009, my senior year of high school was when my brother passed. Fast forward four years, our senior year, one of our fraternity brothers also passed. And I feel like he very closely mirrored my brother in that they're just like the best people, the kindest people biggest hearts, wanted to do good by everyone, wanted to make the world a better place. And something also very sudden happened as well. And when he passed, I feel like I defaulted to this happened before, you know what to do. Don't think about it. Don't feel. Tried doing that for a few days. But I think because time passed, because I was a bit older, I was aware that there's this feeling, there's this thing gnawing like in the back of my mind and just like in my being of hey maybe you should feel maybe you shouldn't approach it this way so I remember going to one of my professor's office hours and he's like an engineering professor he's like crazy smart but he also talked about how he enrolled himself in this program where they like genuinely believed they only had one more year to live and in that limited time like because I'm gonna die after a year what am I gonna do this year and within that year he got married to the love of his life he started a bunch of businesses he stopped caring about a lot of things that we normally would care about if I don't know if we thought we had unlimited time so anyway as smart as he was he was also very self-aware and would dabble in these 
practices that I now dabble in. But at that time, I remember going to his office hours and being like, hey, something just happened. Someone close to me passed. And it just reminded me a lot of what happened four years ago. So if I'm not paying attention in your class or if I look like I'm checked out, I'm sorry, it's not you. I'm just going through stuff. And he very gently and very kindly just, you know, like encouraged me and said that it was okay. And he like, you know, now looking, I'm like this, like the way that he just talked about everything and the way that he handled everything was like, I owe a big part of how I started processing everything because of him. So he very gently brought up, hey, there's this thing called a free writing exercise. Have you heard of it before? I was like, no, tell me more. He's like, oh, you know, it's like, it's called expressive writing. It was actually founded by, I don't know, I don't remember some guys who are like, oh, it's actually great for people who went through traumatic experiences to just write for 25 minutes a day for three days in a row without thinking about punctuation, without thinking about the flow, just write what is on your mind, put it down on paper and just see where it goes. So I actually went home that day, so I got a notebook and I started writing. I actually have that. It's in my YouTube videos. Yeah, like I I read it out loud in some of my YouTube videos. And I remember the first five minutes I was like, I need to write. Mm -hmm. It needs to be beautiful. It needs to be perfect. And I didn't I didn't write anything for the first five minutes. And I'm like, okay, just (laughs) defeats the point. (laughs) Just start. Yeah. I just started writing. Yeah. And I remember just being like, you need to feel. You're not okay. And even though the next month two months, half a year, a year is going to suck. Like it's going to be bad. Like I knew it was going to be bad. If I let myself feel, if I open the floodgates, it's going to be bad. However, I reassured myself that despite that, it will make me a better person and I will come out of it a much stronger, happier individual. And so that was the first time where I decided for myself that I'm going to feel senior year of college and then it was bad it was real bad Mm. it went from ugly to like just like it was not good I was probably already depressed to be fair I was probably depressed even before my brother passed but depression anxiety it was just like full-blown depression anxiety and I had an eating disorder at that time because I felt like It was a sense of, it's like control. If everything in your life feels out of control, for me, it was something that I could control. The lows were very, very, very low. And in those low moments, I think I was also aware, very much aware of what I was doing and what I was going through. And I kept telling myself, it's okay. You're like, it's temporary. All of this is temporary. Life is temporary. Like you will come out of it. Just give yourself time. And then there came a day where I was like, I'm not happy with you with where you are I don't want to keep living like this I need help I need divine intervention I need something like I I realized for the first time in my life that I can't do this by myself that was when I became more open to reading books I became more open to like talking to my parents or talking to people around me that like hey this is something that I'm going through and the thing that really fully pulled me out of this darkness was I mean there's a combination of things I think I realized like first is like the power of now I realized I just was not 
present. I didn't know what it meant to be present. I didn't, I wasn't aware of presence. So now like, because I became more aware of it, I was like, oh, interesting. Like, you know, you're depressed because you're stuck in the past. You have anxiety because you're living in the future. And both of these are pulling you away from the present moment. So I think that was like the first big unlocking realization moment because I was more open to reading, because I was more open to getting help. I think my mom also played a huge role in reintroducing me to my spiritual practice, Falun Dafa. It's something that I grew up with. It's something like the principles and the teachings were all things that guided me throughout everything, you know, to be a good person, truthfulness, compassion and forbearance, unconditionally look inward, things in life happens for a reason. And okay, I forgot a very important context. So while all of the reason why all of this was happening, of course, was because I lost a loved one, right? But at the same time, because I lost a loved one, it made me question so deeply like our existence as humans. I'm like, why am I here? Why do we exist? Why are humans, you know, there's a saying, there's viral videos that went around like when we're in college, right? Where it's like, to be born, it is one in a 1.4 trillionth of a chance right so like with this crazy probability that i'm alive like why and if you can leave as quickly as you came here like my brother then like what does any of this mean and i think because going back to spirituality i grew up with that thinking my perspectives have always been a bit more optimistic where like i do feel like we're here for a reason i do feel like we all have a mission you know there's something greater that has called us to come here to this human realm. Tying everything together, getting out of breath. <laughs> I'm like getting lightheaded. So to tie everything together, because I was in such a dark place, because I was able to pull myself out of it with the help of really like self-help books and also reconnecting with my spirituality, I realized had I had someone on the internet who was a bit more open about their mental health or who maybe talked about mental health a bit more, it could have helped me so much when I was going through everything. Because I don't know, like when you're that young and all you're going, all you're doing is going out and drinking with your friends, you're not gonna be like, hey guys, I'm depressed. You wanna talk about it? Yeah. You know, like what, like what are they gonna say? Like they're also young too, right? I think like at that time, the best that anyone could have done is to maybe hold space for you and maybe like talk to you and to be there for you physically. But we're all so young. Mm -hmm. So I remember thinking after coming out of it in 2016, being like, OK, if a celebrity was just one percent more transparent about their insecurities, the things that they're going through, the fact that they're human and they're not perfect or one percent more open about you know, their vulnerabilities and, you know, all of that, it could help so many people destigmatize mental health. I mean, now everyone it's, you know, it's in vogue. Everyone's talking about mm -hmm. it. It's like trending. It's great. I love it. But back then I was like, I wonder if anyone can benefit from what I went through and like the stories that I can share. And they definitely have. I mean, I have as well. <laughs> I think what is so powerful about everything that you just shared is that there was always this knowing in the back of your mind that, hey, things are going to be really, really, really bad before they get 
good again, right? Like there was this voice inside of you. And I think that's really important because in, I mean, for me in the last 10 years, I've realized how powerful words can be, how powerful someone's voice can be. And it makes a difference in other people's lives and it makes the biggest difference in your own life. And so hearing you say that, knowing that at that age, and then also just slowly finding ways to find that help, right? Maybe talking to someone wasn't going to help you at the time. If you talked to me at the time, quite honestly, (laughs) quite honestly, I don't know if I would have been able to understand because at that point I had never experienced loss. Now, if you talk to me, I think I can relate, but I think it's like reading books to get resources, slowly opening up one person at a time, which is something we always talk about in voice hugs. And then I think the most special thing is taking everything that you've learned, having that voice now, and then wanting to share that with the world. Because you didn't have to. You didn't have to talk about yourself on the internet. You didn't have to want to make a difference in someone else's life. So I think like, even though you went through a really hard time with losing your brother and losing our friend, which is also so weird and so like, it's so crazy that it mirrored each other, you know, both happened senior year, both happened in the fall unexpectedly Yeah, for that to have affected you in a way that ended up, you know, you choosing the path that you did. It's really just like really beautiful to do that. Cause I know loss and hardships can really impact people in so many different ways, depending on the resource and the environment that they have. But for you to be able to take all of that and want to help other people in the way that you have, it's really special and really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> hugs, hugs for hugs. <laughs> okay. So you start your YouTube journey. Mm-hmm. You start creating content, mm-hmm. right? So let's talk a little bit about this time because now we start to see a shift in your world. You're becoming a young adult, right? You're entering your 20s. You're in your mid-20s. And the last eight years of your life, you've been creating content on YouTube. Yes. I know that it started a certain way. You know, mm-hmm. you had the intentions of helping people with your story. And throughout that journey, I'm sure there have been a lot of ups and downs as well and maybe redefining what it is to be Rowena side like who Rowena is can you share a little bit more about how your content started versus where it is now Mm -hmm. and this question is also coming from a place of I've noticed you've been posting a lot less in the last year and so I'm curious you know after doing something for so long with the best intentions in the beginning how has that journey changed for you from the beginning until now well when I first started I would say this in my earlier videos too it really felt like throwing spaghetti on a wall and seeing what stuck Mm. of I'm gonna talk about a coconut pancake recipe I'm going to talk about our road trip together I remember this. to Utah. Yeah. I'm going to talk about, you know, I'm going to put post-it notes on my wall and talk about my life story and just map everything out. It took a, a while, like a year and a half for me to reach 
think 50k 100k i think the initial intentions were really to help people and to help like to give people hope and to give people the courage to like ask themselves the hard questions and also like showing people that it's possible like the craziest thing can happen to you but it truly is up to you how you choose to move forward i feel like that is still very central to what like the messaging that i want to share but over time when you do something for so long you sometimes get distracted by shining things and i was just i was listening to i was re-listening to a book that i listened to you know when i first started my youtube channel but i think especially when it comes to more business books when you actually have a business it hits much differently than when you're trying to start a business you know what i mean so because I've had the experience. Now when I reread this, I'm like, oh my goodness, this makes so much sense. So there is a quote that I want to read out loud. This is from the originals by Adam Grant. Quote, the more you value achievement, the more you come to dread failure. Instead of aiming for unique accomplishments, the intense desire to succeed leads us to strive for guaranteed success. Once people pass an intermediate level in the need to achieve, there's evidence that they actually become less creative. So driven by achievement, which when it comes to the YouTube context is views, right? Like getting decent views on a video. Because I was driven by that, I somehow became a productivity girly during COVID, which like I'm not mad about because like I genuinely cared about that. And I think I was also going through a transition where I was like, oh, I feel like, you know, I'm getting a little older. I'm like definitely oversharing. You know, I would vlog right out of my apartment and like hmm, that's not like the smartest thing to do. Right. For like safety and whatever. So I think as I was becoming more aware of myself and being like a public person, I was also I think I caught I like I lost a spark at some point along the way like it comes and goes but like I think around COVID I was like oh this is weird like this whole this whole circumstance this whole situation like we all felt that right like oh this is strange how do I move forward what do I do and because I think I was for the first time allowing myself to rest and like I didn't know how to process that and I I like haven't been growing in the way that I have so there's another there's another saying that's like, okay, you know, there's this like very famous comedian and they're talking about how their first stand-up special is always phenomenal because you have 10 years, 20 years worth of experiences to talk about. But once you hit it off with that first comedy special, when you come back the second time, it's so hard because what you have like a half a year, a year worth of content to create about. And that usually becomes less relevant because you're successful. You're a successful comedian. People have expectations. And dealing with that, dealing with quote-unquote success is not as relatable as maybe like the 10 years of what you go through, how scrappy you were, how, you know, how you had to like eat orange chicken to get by. I don't know, right? That wasn't funny, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like because when I first started, I had so much I could talk about. I had so much I wanted to share. Once I kind of shared all of that, I was like, "Oh, interesting." Like now what? Yeah, and like I yeah. didn't really know at that time that like if you don't grow as a person, it's hard to grow your channel that's about personal development, you know? And I think at one point I also realized 
while like I don't want to force myself to grow in that way all the time. Yeah. I want to grow and I want to change as it naturally comes. And I started realizing, oh, well, like this isn't going to be sustainable. I can't keep creating content about productivity and I can't keep creating content about self-care because I feel like I like I feel good about where I'm at in life. I feel good about my current routines. So now what? Mm-hmm. You know? And like, but but I've. I focus so much on productivity. I focus so much on routines that I'm like, where do I go now? Yeah. And because a part of me is also like, you got to keep your views up because this is, you know, like I, I was very intentional with like never wanting to charge anything to like people who would view my content. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm thinking about my younger self, right? Like if I was 17 and if I had to pay for this course or I have to like pay for this thing or to get access to this thing, like I probably wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I've been very intentional with like if I were to charge anyone, it would be people who have money, which is brands. Um, So then like if I want to make this sustainable, if I want to have like a decent income, (laughs) decent income, then like my views have to be up. And it just became this like crazy thing that I'm juggling to the point where now like now that I moved back home, closer to home, now that I'm living with my partner, now that I feel like I'm starting a new chapter of my life, I'm just like. Just take your time. When you're ready, create. Don't force yourself to create. And I will say, and I'm sure you feel this way too now, when you don't talk to a camera, when you don't talk to a mic for a while to turn it on and to talk, it gets harder and harder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So it was actually easier when I did it, when I made a video every week. Because yeah. you just like same thing with you, right? When you're editing our episodes. Week by week, you just do it. You're just in this weekly cycle. You're in a groove. Maybe you're not happy. Maybe you're burnt out. Maybe you're depressed, but like you just keep going. But once I took a break, I was just like, well, nothing's going to happen if I stop for a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going through a little internal renaissance and hopefully that will reflect on my channel soon. Mm -hmm. I'm also getting to a place where I'm allowing myself to create things that I want that maybe initially won't get as many views but it's what I want to create for example the TikTok video and I wanted to create that video on fame where Viv being the most supportive friends like I love that video and I'm like but it's a 10 out of 10 like on the YouTube back end and she's like but it's okay it might be one of those videos that people will find later on and I'm like thank you (laughs) what does a 10 out of 10 mean so when you publish a video on YouTube backend in the analytics, it'll say this video compared to your past 10 videos, where does it rank? Uh, so okay. you want it to be so a one, out, one of out of 10. Got it. Yeah. So when it's a 10 out of 10, it is not performing. Mm-hmm. And I think before I would have freaked out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still freak out. Let's be real. I still freak out. I'm just like, James, what do I do? How do I change the thumbnail? How do I change the title? Yeah. But now I think... It's fine. Yeah. Like I wanted to make the video. I can always go back and change the title and thumbnail and like even after months have passed and the video will pick up. So it's okay. I'll do it when the time comes. I think one of the hardest things about content creation and, and that being your main source of income is that it's your main source of income. And so a lot of times when you want to be true to yourself To be authentic to yourself doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to equal the views, right? And so you get caught in this 
balance this juggle of how do I stay true to myself while also maintaining my life because I do need to get paid and I do need all of this stuff. And I think people don't really understand or see that when you're not in that world of creating content. I think a lot of people will create content that's not authentic to them or pretend fake authenticity, right? Because they know it's going to do well. They know that's what the viewers want. And I think for people like us who want so badly to dig deep and really know who we are at our core, it's really hard to fake it. And I think at some point it comes out and you're like, you know what? I can't do that anymore because I'm realizing this is not authentic to me. It's really interesting to see also your timeline with all of this because as this, I wouldn't say decline, I would say more like you slowed down on YouTube. Decline. <laughs> no. It's how I feel <laughs> on my bad days. I'm becoming irrelevant. No. I am declining. I should just quit while I'm on top. No, no. The, the pace has just changed, right? Yes. We're entering a different season it's interesting too because this is the time that you started voice hugs with me. Yeah. And I think that's everything that we do, I truly believe that it's a reflection of our life, whether we are conscious of it or not. And I think at the time when we started voice hugs, you were needing a free space to speak. You did not want to talk about productivity. And we don't talk about productivity, right? We we went you went from having things that were so scripted and really thought out to, hey, now I'm just going to have a conversation with a friend. I think even you deciding to have a co-host on a podcast is a reflection of, hey, I don't want to be talking about topics or my thoughts. I actually just want to feel free and have a conversation with a friend. And so it just it just mirrors this time of your life now where you're looking for that. Oh, I just realized your word last year was free. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense how this has played out. And I think being able to see you grow in the last like decade of knowing you, I think this time, this new season that you've entered is really exciting because I have been seeing a different side of you where it feels like you're actually living and I think you need to take time away. Like even for us, after a certain point, I was like, I can't talk about my feelings anymore. <laughs> you know, like I need to go after 40 episodes. <laughs> you're like, please, I need to go out and experience a little bit of life so I can yeah. talk about yeah. new lessons that I've learned. So I think having this new season and being a part of it with you is very fun and very you know like we're on the same coast now we get to see each other every week yeah so I'm very excited for this new chapter thank you yeah yeah I think just to drive home what you said where like to have a co-host on this podcast I went from well I'm gonna say no friends it's not that like no friends but I think I wanted to do everything so much on my own for so long that I think because of the pandemic, because human connection, friendships, relationships became so top of mind, I was like, it's like, I think not just with us, right? Like with everything in my life, I'm like, it's time to be a person again. I went from this like 
super numbing myself, escaping my feelings and like, and therefore like escaping truly deep human connection to like finding myself reconnecting with spirituality, like realizing what I want to do with my life and just focusing so hard on that, that like, because this was all I cared about, I said no to everything else, including friendships and including, you know, going out and all of that. And I feel like, yeah, like you said, voice hugs happened at the perfect time where now in retrospect, I see that, ah, yes, I needed, I needed voice hugs in my life. I needed this way for us to connect in like an even deeper, I feel like we already, you guys now, we already connect deeply with or without a camera, with or without a mic. But to be able to continue doing what I've always wanted to do and continue helping people and spreading this message of voice hugs and just hugs in life in general is an honor. Mm, It's an honor for me too. Yay! (laughs) I love it. No, it just crossed my mind that, you know, your YouTube content is very much like how can I inspire others to believe that like you know you can do it and that like life is worth living and that all you have to do is just dig deeper and try you know like there's always good that can come out of it but I think voice hugs content is different in the way that you have people you have like we have each other as we try to go and do those things we don't always have to try to do those things but the end thing is that like you are not alone and that like you have yourself you have me you have friends you have community you have books and so I think that's what makes this so special too it's that like we happen to learn this at this time in our life to bring us together and create something so special and meaningful Is there anything else you would like to share with the Voice Hugs fam before we wrap up? I just want to say whether you've been around since my coconut pancake. (laughs) I've been around. Yes. (laughs) Taking a road trip with Viv days, whether you just started watching my videos or whether you just know me from Voice Hugs, like whatever it is. I'm very grateful for you and none of this will be possible. Like I would not be who I am today. I would not be where I am today without you. So just know that I really, really appreciate you for just being you and for being a part of our story, for being a part of our journey. And I can't wait to see where we go for Vivian's episode. But also very excited to see where season two will take us to the moon. Yeah. As always, if you have any questions, if you'd like to say hello, you can shoot us a DM at Voice Hugs Podcast or you can send us an email. Hello at voicehugspodcast.com. Yes. Also, we mentioned this in the last episode, but we do have some surprises that we're planning to launch in the upcoming weeks. Mm -hmm. So if you'd like to be one of the first people to be notified of what the surprise is, we do have a very, very basic website. Um, At the very bottom of this website, you can subscribe to our newsletter. Yes, We will be sending an email out to everyone who is there, letting them know of the surprise and the launch. So yeah, 
Sending everyone the biggest voice hugs. Special thanks again to Ro. Special thanks to Viv for being the hostess <laughs> with the mostess. Look at her transitions. Special thanks to Sharky Potato Boy. Yes. I don't know why I thought it was a boy. It's, it's a boy. It's a boy. I think it's a boy. It's for sure a boy. Voice hugs to you wherever you are in the world. We love you. We just made a heart with our hands on the couch over the potato shark if you're not watching the video. Thank you. We're grateful for you. 